I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Bake with Legend offer fans of the Great British Bake Off the chance to bake alongside their favourite stars from the show. If you're planning a special birthday, a hen party, or perhaps in charge of your next work social, why not get in touch with us to discuss arranging an event for you? We also offer Bake with a Legend at Home, where one of our Bake Off alumni can come and lead a baking class in your own accommodation. Just imagine that, Howard or Jane coming round and teaching you afternoon tea. For more information, visit bakewithalegend.com or email info at bakewithalegend.com. I must admit, I was slightly distracted by the sight of Paul squeezing the filling. <laughs> it's just, I found it mesmerising, actually. That that sort of, the way it went bump, out and then back in again. <laughs> it was sort of like it was, was winking at you. <laughs> like, I did, I did, Paul Hollywood pasty winker. Yes. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode seven of the Bake Down podcast. As ever, I am joined by Howard Middleton and Jane Beadle. Um, Howard, I know you didn't make it to week seven, and I don't mean to, to rub it in at all, <laughs> but do you think you'd have still had the stamina to, to keep going for those four more weeks if, if that was what requ- was required? There's part of me thinks that I would. I, th- I think I would have happily gone back um, and made tea and done some washing up just to have been back in the tent and having that bake-off experience. Um, but yes, I would have loved to have been baking there as well. And and Jane, obviously you did have all, all 10 weeks. Do, do you think if they did a survival of the fittest of bake-off, you had to go every week for a year, would, would, you, have, would you have survived? Would you have been there in week 52? Uh, yes, I would. I loved every minute of it. And I'm, although nice because i am particularly lovely um i'm also quite determined i don't give up i mean now when i go to the gym and they say do that but you can rest if you want to i get to the end and i think (laughs) i'd do the same with bake-off because actually i loved every minute of it and you what keeps you going is not wanting to miss out on any of the fun so yeah bring it on i'll do 52 weeks (laughs) Of two weeks, but well, we look forward to that format of, uh, of Bake Off. 
<laughs> Channel Not sure four. what my waistline would Every be like at the end of Every single Tuesday night. It'd be, it'd be incredible. Well, thank you for everyone's continually kind reviews that have been uh, coming in. This one came from Alana on Apple Podcast. Despite living in the UK for the last 10 years, this is my first time watching Bake Off. I am hooked. Not only am I now invested in the contestants, I can also take a deep dive into the competition each week with Jane, Howard and Josh. I'm loving the bake down for the thoughtful and humorous analysis of the show and their commentary is spot on. I can't wait to get more of the bake down as Bake Off goes along. Well, the lovely thing here, Jane, is that if Alana's just started watching, she's got nine seasons to look back on. She has. I mean, that's going to keep her going to a well past Christmas. And, and actually, I think what it would spur me on to do is to watch series one which i haven't ever watched and sitting next to uh, ed kimber, ed kimber yes yeah. sitting next to ed kimber last week at, at the theater who was absolutely delightful makes me want to watch his series and then i only watched half of series two which is one joe weekly one um i so i want to watch all that again and the thing is I want to watch all the Howards again because now I know Howard intimately. <laughs> we meet under the clock at St Pancras every week, don't we, darling? Um, I want to watch his series again. I think it's one of those things. It's like watching home movies. There are so many people who you consider to be your friends, even though you've perhaps never met them before, that it's, it's a real joy to, to sit down and, and keep watching. So, Alana... Yeah, watch all the other series. They're brilliant, especially my series, Series 7, which was the best. <laughs> so, and, and, and Howard, you also get to meet up with a lot of the uh, former contestants and presumably you might... Do you, do you remember all of their episodes? Maybe it's, it's nice to meet people in person make your own judgment, I guess. Oh, yeah. I think I think it's lovely. And I, I think it's it's special because you've watched it and you remember a lot of their highlights and so on um it's lovely when members of the public do that as well when they come and they remember certain details of things that you'd almost forgotten yourself um but yeah i i think it's wonderful we um you you do feel as if you've been part of that that kind of bake off family really uh, and I, I think it's uh, it's great, as I say, just to to meet people who've had that shared experience. Jane, you were saying just as you were coming in, even the other week, you went and had an afternoon tea with Selassie. Was that right? <laughs> yes. So Selassie was doing tea at um, Duke's Hotel in London, and um, we were quite a few of us were invited. So Liam was there, Rav was there, um, and Selassie had made these absolutely amazing cakes. But interestingly, somebody online reminded us that in Tudor week, um, Selassie asked me what it was like to live in Tudor times. So, you know, people watch and remember, <laughs> and they remember things that we've even forgotten or actually chosen to put out of our minds because he was quite rude about my age. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we, we all meet up and it is lovely and lovely that, that viewers also remember the sort of relationship we had on screen and then see us continuing that. I think we get asked quite a lot. Um, are you are you really friends? Is this all just for social media? And genuinely, our series gets on like a house on fire, like a house. I think, you know, you know, whenever we have the opportunity to meet up somebody who's coming into London, especially some of the ones that live a bit further afield, we all make a real effort to 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 get together. It's just a joy, mm. a joy. 
Well, that's fantastic. Look, as ever, we've had some questions in. And, and actually, this one wasn't so much a question. It was uh, sent to us by Kristen Jaquella, one of our American, one of our many American listeners. And, and she wanted your thoughts on this article in a website called The Atlantic. It's an American website. And I'm just going to pull out a, a quote here and, and read out what it said. As seasons of the show have come and gone, though the technical challenge has evolved from a basic skill assessment to a meandering tour through Europe's most arcane pastries. This isn't because the various series have cycled through all the routine baked goods already and want to avoid repetition. Note, if you will, the notorious second appearance of pita bread. Instead, the decision seems to have been made to inject drama into the Great British Baking Show, that's of course what they call it in America, by perplexing contestants to a maximal extent. Why else would producers demand that bakers perfectly create dishes they've never seen or eaten and would struggle to even spell, like damp noodle, or flayones, or Spanish wintorte, or torta setevelli? So I think the general point they're making here is, is that the technicals have become too complicated too far removed from maybe what they were in earlier series i just i thought it was interesting obviously cursed um christian sorry just wanted your your thoughts on that i mean how would what, what were your initial thoughts because I, I i just sent the the link to you ahead of us recording uh, i think uh, i think we've said before that actually there's there's one good thing generally about the technicals in that nobody knows what what to expect and uh quite often it will be something that if not everybody hasn't done before at least some most people will have not done before um and i think this i think there's some comfort in that i actually quite liked the fact that you would be doing something that that was a bit of a challenge i think what they're testing is not necessarily your knowledge completely of all these unusual pastries and um and so on um but actually that you can apply the skills that you've got to an unusual situation. So it's, it is literally a technical challenge. You are using the skills that you've perhaps picked up in, in other bakes and seeing whether you can apply them to something which is unheard of to you. Jane, I've got memories. Was it damp for noodle that you mm. had to make in, in your series? Yes. And, that, and that's one of the examples given here in the Yes, article. damp noodle, it still gives me bad dreams, damp noodle. Um, yeah, gosh, and I made a t- terrible, terrible job of it. Uh, but I'm with Howard. I think it's interesting for me watching this series and other series when they'll say, make, for instance, a Genoese or, or make a custard. I th- think they give you instructions if it's a completely obscure skill, but if it's something they believe as one of the, as Paul would put it, 12 or 13 best bakers in the country, you should have some of those basic skills. Make, what was it for um, those, you promised you'd bring some. The, <laughs> Did um, I? What do you call, what were they, the fried... The fried oh, um, it's beignet souffle. souffle. Yes, you did say I you were going to bring it. Howard did not I? come Sorry. with those. Um, make a shoe pastry. And I think that's what the technical does. It technically test your technical knowledge of basic skills and then sees whether you can recreate something without a picture. Now, I'm, I'm of an age where recipe books very rarely had a picture and you they were brilliant recipes, but you had to envisage what you were trying to create. And this is all that they're, they're getting you to do. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing um, pastries from Europe 
where do we learn all our, where Absolutely. do we get all our pastry skills from it certainly isn't necessarily from the uk i mean we are talking some wonderful techniques and wonderful things to eat it's part of the joy of travel and why shouldn't we then try and make them here so bring on more obscure pastries as far as i'm concerned um i don't think we should be too is the word parochial about no. it um i don't want to be making um bread pudding every week and putting my spin on it i'd much rather be doing a, well not a damp noodle but a florinus <laughs> or a spanish winter torta and i think she goes on in the article to call it princessa torta um howard pointed out you could be able to buy it Ikea in, in Ikea yeah. for, for years. So mm. let's not get too stuck in boring old British pastries. Oh, no, sorry, not boring old British pastries. I did my book on Kentish baking the other day, thinking I'm going to actually celebrate the traditional bakes of Kent. Oh, my goodness, they sounded so dull. Sorry, Kent. Um, I'd rather be doing um, a torta settevelli than I would something with lots of lard in. <laughs> I, I think the answer... I'm just going to upset loads of people there. <laughs> I think, I think you've... Oh, that was wonderful. I mean, the number of people you could potentially have upset there. It's... <laughs> That's it. yeah. I'm going to be replaced next week by somebody who's nicer. Um, Kristen, I think the answer, in short, from Jane and Howard, is that we uh, we enjoy the variety of uh, of technical challenges. But thank you so much for listening and for drawing the article to our attention and uh, for listening all the way from over in America. We've also been asking you to send us your self-raising selfie stories and uh, Meg has been in touch. She says, Hi guys, thank you so much for doing this podcast. It's my favourite thing to listen to as I come home from work on the Tube on a Wednesday. I've only ever met one Bake Off star, which was Ian Waters. And in the excitement as I took a selfie, my hand was shaking, and this is a terrible photo which upsets me greatly. What do you think the etiquette should be when you're taking a selfie and it's gone wrong? I was too embarrassed to ask again. How does this happen to you where people have come up and said, can I take a picture? It's not gone well, and they've uh, they've wanted a second, maybe even a third attempt. How do you deal with that? I'm I'm quite patient. I have to say, I I do say say to people, "Are you happy with that?" And then they'll they'll sort of say no. And I remember doing this once at St Pancras when I'd got a train to catch, <laughs> and I'm thinking, "Please be satisfied with this now." But uh, I think the worst thing is um, my my partner Peter quite often offers to if if people want to do a, a selfie, he'll say. I'll I'll take a photo and he takes an age so my advice would be if you do want a selfie with me don't ask peter to take <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the maximum number of attempts anyone's ever had with you to take a picture i don't I, well uh, quite often um mums will have a go as well and uh daughters and sons are then very critical of of what what their mum's done uh, so it's oh no you've done look what you've done there so I I think I think you could go for ten uh, goals at least ten? Isn't you? yeah you would stand there for ten attempts yeah you're very kind done. and patient <laughs> Jen what, what where do you feel the line should be drawn I'd say three attempts I mean if you can't get it right in three we've all got we've all got to get up. <laughs> 
to be honest, I've never really had much trouble with that at all. I right. happily stay. I think what amuses me is Howard saying that the daughters and the sons have to have an absolutely perfect picture. And I know my daughter is very like that too. Um, you know, they look gorgeous and they're going, oh, no, no, that doesn't look right. My eyebrow looks wonky. Um, but they never ask us whether we're happy with the photo. So we could be there looking <laughs> with my eyes shut or oh, dribbling I'm, I'm and we don't get a second go. in my eyes, yeah. <laughs> no, do ask. And please ask again. I'm sure Ian wouldn't have minded at all. Yeah, you want to have a good photo. So there you go, Meg. I think the answer is if you see Howard, avoid asking Peter if Peter's with Howard to take the photo. (laughs) And you've got up to even 10 attempts. So you might as well, even if you like the first one, just in the case, the second or maybe the seventh one is going to go better for you. Just keep keep going as long as you want. Well, thank you, uh, Meg, for for being in touch and uh, and for listening. And uh, if you have bumped into a a Bake Off star somewhere and want to tell us your story about it, we'd love to hear it. So do email us at thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com or you can tweet us at bakewithalegend. Well, let's look at the signature of Festival Week. It was a challenge to make 24 yeasted festival buns. The instructions were to make your version of a celebratory bread that you might find at a festival Sandy said, such as Eid, Christmas, Hanukkah, Diwali. Um, each bun must tell a story. Paul clarified more than 24 festival buns. They can represent any country in the world. They can have anything in as long as it's related to a festival. He wanted to get them beautifully light, airy, full of flavour and to pack a punch. And Prue clarified that she said, well, the most obvious one to us would be the hot cross bun at Easter. She wants these ones to be yeasted, but they could have spice in them or other flavours. She wanted to see them uniform, great flavour and texture, and to be delicious. Jane, I think you'd have liked this challenge. Is that, is that fair you'd have liked this uh, challenge to make these festival buns? I would have loved this challenge. I'm a great bun fan. The obvious one would have been the hot cross buns, which I love. I love hot cross buns. I could eat too many of them. The, the downside of this challenge is the three hours again, because mm. usually these festive buns have an enriched dough so you'll have butter in them you'll have sugar in them and that inhibits the yeast so it's a much slower rise so to get a really good rise with if you're going for a double proof which all of them did um in three hours it's a tricky old challenge i mean fortunately it was quite warm in the tent and it looks like the the weather has moved on and of course they've all got proving drawers in their their ovens um so the challenge for this is the time but actually the sky's the limit i think there were some really interesting buns especially from um henry always manages to find something Mm. that i've never heard of um no great great challenge i thought um, lovely and lovely to move away from cake I was uh, I was going to leave it just, to you there to try and pronounce Henry's chocolate cardamomabula. I'm not quite sure I've got that right, Howard. Are you going to correct me? Cardamomabula. Of course it is. <laughs> hey, are you familiar with the with them no. prior to uh, talking? No, are you going to make that, some with your beignet uh, soufflés next week for us? I think they're normally done with with cinnamon, uh, but I think I think Henry had. had, had as far as I know, he'd created this this cardamom version, which was probably a, a kind of I don't know if it's a made up word or not, but it sounds wonderful. Cardamomabula. Cardamomabula. Well, I, I haven't looked it up actually. Have you looked it up? I haven't looked it up to see whether it exists. I bet it does exist. Do you? Yeah. yeah. Well, it went well for him, didn't yeah. it? I mean, incredibly well with that um, 
a handshake. There was a lovely moment, I, I thought, just going off tangent for a second, where he was asked by Noel if he's ever been to a festival, given this was <laughs> festival week. And Noel even, uh, when Henry had said no, said, well, not even a book festival. At that point, Henry conceded he had actually uh, been to a festival. Howard, where would you have taken this, do you, do you think, in, in terms of there's such opportunity to be creative? And we saw some, as Jane was saying, some really creative ideas. What, any thoughts where you might have gone with this on this challenge? I think I probably would have gone, uh, I, I would have done a bit of investigation into other buns from other countries, really. So I think I probably would have gone like Henry and uh, I think David as well, sort of. His were Bulgarian, weren't mm, they? But they I, were. think, I think a sort of European bun, rather than a traditional hot cross bun, I would have been looking for something a bit unusual, I think. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, David, as he has in, in many weeks at Bake Off, turning to sort of his links with, with Bulgaria, uh, Jane, he made these, these Kozanek plates, Bulgarian Easter bread, uh, with lemon and almonds, you know, being the predominant flavours. There was a, a funny moment where he, he said he was copying a Paul Hollywood plating style from YouTube, just as, as Paul was sort of loitering in the, the back of I've written in my notes all this quite suck up here. Um, but, but I thought that's interesting. Do you remember at all that, you know, either of you sort of trying to look more into Paul's background ahead of going in the show and looking at his recipes or YouTube tutorials on, on his style? Um, I don't I don't think I did. I think I did buy his book. And, oh, that's awful to admit I didn't have it before. But, uh, no, I did buy his book <laughs> just to have a look at, at certain techniques. But I don't remember... Th- you, you don't know when you are developing your recipes. I don't think you know what their individual tastes might be. So yeah. you don't know whether you're creating something which they absolutely love or... Um, or they they hate really, um, and I think as as the series have gone on, I suppose bakers now can look back over previous ones and see whether Paul doesn't like coconut or or whatever. Yeah, but, I mean you've got uh, nine series, to, yes, or ten series it will you, be to look back on. Yeah, but you'd you'd have to be pretty dedicated to go back to every one and look at, at what might please the judges and might displease them. Yes, but. Possibly some people aren't. I mean, you've got 100 yeah, hours roughly true. of content there probably to uh, to sit and get through. Jane, um, Alice uh, told us all that she'd been marking exam papers all week. Almost sounded like she was glad to be in the tent rather than marking those exam papers just to, to get away from presumably sort of the, the, the schoolwork she had. And and she went for this sort of lemon, blueberry and almond hot cross bun uh, glazed with the lemon curd. What, what do you make of, of her effort? Well, I going back to her... Marking her exam papers, um, 180 exam papers and 150 reports I've written down. I think it just goes to show to anybody viewing that actually these people still continue working. The contestants carry on doing their day job and it's really hard to get not only the time off if it's filmed during the week, um, but also to get your practice in. Because, you know, as a school teacher, we all know that school teachers work ridiculous hours these days, uh, probably with more pressure than they've ever had before. So poor Alice, my, my heart went out to her. Yes, she really did look as though she was glad to be back in the tent. And I can't say that I blame her. Yeah, I, hmm, the lemon curd glaze. I think the danger when you choose something like a hot cross bun is that you feel you need to really pimp it up instead of just going for a really tasty bun that you would make at home. 
And they are signature. They're supposed to be things that you love to bake and that your family love to eat. And trying to do the glaze with lemon curd was trying to put her stamp on it, trying to put fresh fresh cranberries in, which are going to be quite wet in in the dough. There's always the danger in a signature of trying too hard. And I think that was just a little bit going too far. I think just a straight glaze to give her that shine would have worked much better. Well, well Prue said as much, really, that she said mm. that she felt the lemon curd glaze was, you know, not as attractive as, and not as shiny, maybe, as it, as it could have been. Steph um, obviously got a, a handshake as well, mm. which was, um, mm. you know, straight after seeing I'm Henry get one. I'm not sure I agree with the handshakes this week. <laughs> right. Well, you better tell us more. So, Steph, it was a zest and spice hot mm. cross bun. Well, I'm going back to Henry, who everybody knows I absolutely adore Henry. It, it, why did he get a handshake? They tasted delicious, but they were irregular. Uh, irregularity would have stopped anybody getting a handshake. So, And Steph's, well... I, brilliant. She went for a gorgeous bun and I have no doubt that it tasted delicious. But when they cut it open, they muttered something about fruit distribution and mm. there is an equal amount in each side. Well, they pulled Alice up on fruit distribution. Um, and then when I looked at Steph's, I thought, well, there's not much fruit in the middle of that. I thought the fruit distribution was not good from the bit that we saw on telly. And just bear in mind, we are, we only see sure. what they show mm. us. So I I don't think a handshake was necessary. I haven't tasted them. But if it was talking about has to be perfect to get a handshake, yeah. I didn't like that fruit distribution. I think um, sometimes perhaps perhaps Paul just needs to be able to say, well done to somebody rather than putting it in the form of a handshake. I think um, perhaps he, I don't know, maybe he struggles a bit to sort of say nice things. And, <laughs> he certainly does that. <laughs> and so he just stays silent and sticks his hand out. But perhaps that's not the best way of actually complimenting someone on a good bait. Well, we, we better talk about Michael, of course, in, in this episode, given we won't have a huge opportunity to, to do so going forward. He, he went for this figgy pudding uh, hot cross bun. So it was kind of mixing Easter with Christmas. He, he brushed it with brandy glaze, soaked with brandy butter, but it was really packed with, with dried fruit, wasn't it? And there was a slightly odd stare, wasn't there, from Paul Hollywood when Michael was a bit unsure on his numbers and the, the distribution he was going to get. You know, it was an okay start to, to this week, but it, it didn't get him off to the, the best possible start, Jane. Uh, no, it didn't. Although I would love to have... Um... Love, love to have had one. I thought they sounded delicious. And Paul was right when he was saying, you know, if you've got so much fruit and your rise is already going to be slow because it's an enriched dough, that the, the fruit is going to have necessarily weigh it down. And then when you try and weigh out, say, say your buns are, I don't know, 80 grams each, if you know, 30% of that is fruit in one and 40% in another. You haven't actually got so much bread dough, so they are mm. going to rise very differently. I'm sort of getting very technical here. Um, so, yeah, he, he had an issue with the amount of fruit that he'd got in there. But Paul said the flavour was spot on and the spices are nicely warm. Um, Prue, Prue said the dough was a bit tough but delicious, and I think that's probably a timing issue with the mm. – probably didn't get enough approving time uh, – for all the reasons that we've said before, 
but you know, I, of all the flavours, I love the idea of a figgy pudding hot cross bun. So I, I'm going to be um, giving that one a go. I love mm. dried figs. I've never put dried figs in mine. So well done. Well done, Michael, in spite of the criticism. But you were not alone in unevenness. And, and that going back to Henry's handshake, and I don't begrudge Henry a handshake at all, but going back to Henry's handshake, you know, if his... His were uneven and then Michael's were uneven, but his flavours were delicious. You know, let's have a bit of consistency, I think, judges, please. Jane, there would be some thought that perhaps Rosie made the most interesting of all the signatures that were made. She went for this Mardi Gras Finnish Semlor Peacock Festival buns, as she called them. Um, Namalaka. And I know you were you were a big fan of these. I thought Rosie did a brilliant job. I really did. I thought she'd thought well out of the box. They were pretty. I love the idea with the peacocks and she made a nice filling. Uh, for me, they were the winning buns. I ticked all the boxes for me. I'd like to have tasted them. And I mean, I know they, they said they were a bit dense, but you know what it's like if you try to cut a, a loaf just out of the oven? Yeah. Um, I suppose maybe then judgment comes into it that, as you cut it out, you compress the stuff underneath. But, you know, if we're going to mark them on creativity and the flavour seemed really good and they, they certainly looked pretty and they were unusual, I think for me, Rosie was the winner on this challenge. Of course, we're, we're just making armchair judgments, but I just thought they were, they were really, they really stood out for me. Well, great. Paul made mm. the point, didn't he, Howard, about how highly decorated they were and that they would stand out in a shop window and they would look fantastic there. They're probably, of, of everything that was made, were they the, the thing you'd have probably wanted to reach for and taste? Yeah, I, I, I must admit, I tended to go for... Uh, I, I personally liked the stuff that wasn't perhaps so decorative, so I, I did like Henry's and David's. But, yeah, you could definitely appreciate the, the effort that she'd put into the decoration on them i think he said it was it was strange wasn't it because paul said that you could see these in a in a shop window and then he said they're a bit flat and it's like this kind of yo-yo of of observations about people's bakes sometimes it's a bit a bit distracting i find Mm, i agree yeah anyway i thought she did a good job and i want Mm. to eat i wanted to eat them This week's episode of The Bake Down is in association with our friends at Seed and Bean Chocolate. Seed and Bean truly live on the wilder side of taste, creating adventurous, botanically inspired flavours using only 100% organic ingredients. If you head to their website at seedandbean.co.uk, you'll receive 25% off your purchase using the code THEBAKEDOWN when you check out. We'll move on to talking about the technical challenge now, Howard. Ironically, we were talking about the uh, technical challenges, of course, and the article from the American website, The Atlantic, earlier. And I suspect they might have taken issue with this week's 12 12 Sicilian cassatelli, um, which, of course, are typically served at a carnival, we we were told. Their pastry crescents filled with a smooth and creamy ricotta, flavoured with chocolate and orange and fried until crispy and golden. Um, and the instruction was to make them uniform in shape and size. Paul said, it's all about getting the perfect texture inside and out. Sicilian snacks should have at the carnival. They're beautiful pastry. And you have to get the pastry nice and thin. And it's hard to get the ricotta in. If you don't roll the pastry thin enough, he said, when the fried, as soon as they hit the oil, it could burst open, the ricotta would pour out. And we did see a little bit of that. 
So mm. Howard, this was only one hour, 15 minutes. Incredibly quick um, was, challenge yeah. to get, mate. What were your just observations on on the technical challenge? I think if you've not made pasta, it's tricky actually using the, the pasta machine. So, so several people, and I, I could well imagine me being one of those where the handle would fly off, <laughs> just knowing how to put the thing together. But did you see Henry at one point? Did he ask Sandy to help? turn the handle oh, to, to crank yes would you have been there asking asking someone else <laughs> that's a little bit like having an extra a third hand it's cheating i i it, i think it is a little bit cheating but i oh, think we, we, we'll, we'll not allow really. it yeah yeah we're not campaigning here no, for henry to be kicked no, out we no. want to make that absolutely no. clear <laughs> henry can have as much help as he wants for as far as we're all concerned Jane, have you made something similar to this in in the past i'm assuming you haven't made exactly this Sicilian Cassatelli. Oh, no, I haven't made Sicilian Cassatelli, but actually I'm quite tempted to because I think they look delicious and mm. sound lovely. And I've certainly never sieved ricotta before. I've made uh, chorizo and basil puffs, which are the, exactly the same shape, but with puff pastry and they're baked. And if you don't seal them properly, they do burst open in the same way. So it's all about the amount of filling and the, how well you seal them. And again, you know, how thin the pastry is. I thought they were a really nice little challenge. What I love about some of these technical challenges, they're things I've never heard of before. And it makes me want to go and make make them. I mm. like, I'm just waiting to make those beignet souffles actually my stomach is now rumbling i'm so hungry oh. <laughs> just talking about them i think the challenges technical challenges this year have been things that i've wanted to make and i like that i like the idea that it's going to make me go and look them up and give them a go i don't find them too over challenging um, in, in a way if you, if you know what i mean mm. i was not doing them down in any way but for an accomplished baker some of these are things that um yeah, you do want to make at home, and this these look lovely, absolutely they, delicious. They did look lovely. Um, Howard, we were warned, weren't we, by Paul about the dangers of them splitting open or bursting open when they hit the fryer, and, and that was a problem certainly Alice had, I and mean, she possibly wasn't alone. But there were points where she just looked com- almost confused and uh, unsure about how she'd be going about this. And um, you know, Paul Paul made the point in the feedback they weren't sealed properly. You know, had big air pockets, and uh, and Prue said you know over fried so. It's quite a delicate challenge to to try and get it, to get right. It was a delicate challenge. I, I must admit, I was slightly distracted by the sight of Paul squeezing the filling. <laughs> it was just, I found it mesmerising. Actually, that that sort of the way it went pop out and then back in again. <laughs> it was sort of like it was was winking at you. <laughs> Like I did, I did Paul Hollywood pasty winker. Yes, it was. No, it was. I just couldn't. I could. I. I. I may have to go and have another look at that. Well, it's clear what made the most impression on you this week. Oh, how I'm not it's sure amazing. I can go on. Jane, I'll try and restore some order. Here. Oh dear. Um, okay. David, who who is just always so clean and tidy and just amazing on his bench, and and he. You know, he mentioned how he had bad memories of using the fryer on, you know, one of the previous challenges. But he, he seemed fairly composed. He's come second in so many of these technical challenges. I need Howard, our statistical genius over there, to, to tell me exactly why. I think it's something like the fourth time he's come second in a technical. So, you know, he he did a pretty good job there. But I've come to expect that almost from David now in these in these challenges. 
yes, I'm sure coming first is not far away, or I sincerely hope not, because I think David is meticulous. He's incredibly neat and has a very well-ordered bench and works through the challenge methodically. I I, I think it just goes to show what a good baker he is. And I, I'm not sure he has had the full recognition for how good he is. He just quietly gets on with what he he he's doing and seems to have mastered a lot of techniques. I think David is a very, very good baker. I think mm. it'll be a matter of time before that is recognised. I hope so anyway. I really like David's bakes. Howard, we should congratulate Rosie because this was her first technical victory and you could tell how much it, it meant to her. It was almost a validation of her place at, at this stage of the process. It uh, Yes. I mean, she, she felt as if she... I'd, I'd, I'd have to check, but she was saying that she'd come fifth in every one so far and then suddenly first. So I think, you know, that's great to have, have made that leap. No, I, I you know, I think... Um, they did look delicious. So Rosie first, there, David second, and Henry third in the technical. So as we were heading for the showstopper challenge, we of course see Paul and Prue sit at the kitchen table with Nolan and Sandy, and they reiterated they thought that Henry's signature should be applauded and that it was definitely Alice and Michael fighting to avoid departure on, on week seven. Their challenge was to make... A Kek Lapis Sarawak. Um, I hope I've got that right. It wasn't the easiest to, uh, but we've looked it up. And they were told it's a colourful cake which originates from the Sarawak region of Malaysia. It's often used in religious and cultural celebrations. The instruction was that their cake should display even and precise layers and be grilled. When your cake is cut and reassembled, it should form intricate patterns that run through it. They were given four hours and 15 minutes Paul said this is a complicated one because they won't have made it before. There was nowhere to hide and they were going to see any problems. Prue then said, we've asked them to do a Sarawak layer cake, many layers and many colours and flavours with a thin layer of batter in the cake tin. They've got to grill it for a few minutes, take it out, more batter, grill it, however many layers they want and then cut into any shape they like. They've got to then reassemble those pieces of cake so they make a fantastic pattern. And they were building this up, weren't they, Howard? As something that was going to be very difficult to do and, you know, I... I, I must say it was, as, as a viewer, it looked like one of the tougher ones. I think so. You know, we've, we've said in the past about when, when people say this is the, the the most difficult challenge ever in the Bake Off tent. But I think this was a, a tricky challenge. I think it was it was difficult not only in terms of coming up with something finally that, that is decorative, but the actual technique of being able to grill each layer and the fact that you're building up each layer if you burn one of those layers, basically, that's it, isn't it? Mm. You know, so it's not so bad if you burn, burn the first layer, which I think uh, Rosa did with with one of hers. But I mean, if you if you burn your fourth layer, then the it, it sort of ruins all the ones underneath as well. I think David had lost quite a bit of cake because yes. one layer of his burnt. I don't know how many layers at that stage, but there's quite a lot headed for the bin this challenge, isn't it? Mm. Well, well, yeah, David certainly ended up being a smaller version of a celebration. <laughs> and I think perhaps they were they were hoping for. Sandy uh, suggested maybe it was it was for her. Michael did say about how warm it was as well. I don't know if you noticed that. So obviously the temperature uh, as the filming must have been going on was was certainly um, getting warmer, which I guess changes the conditions in the tent. There were multiple cakes to make. 
Grilling is obviously something we've not yet seen this series. We've mentioned how timing can be so difficult to, to keep on top of everything. But when you've only got something going in the oven for what, maybe 90 seconds, two minutes, that's that's tough, Jane, isn't it? To to keep on top of everything and not make mistakes, as Howard just mentioned, that would mean you've ruined a layer somewhere in the middle. I think it was a particularly difficult challenge. Howard reminded me before we started recording this that actually there was a grill challenge. What was it that they made Nancy's year? It was, was the, yeah, Series 5 in the technical, they made a, a schichttorte. Um, Careful how you say that, Howard. <laughs> I think they've deliberately chosen that one, actually, because it's quite difficult to say. Yeah. Um, so I was doing a bit of research on this because I'd never heard of it before, Um and if you look online, there are the most stunning cakes and designs and patterns out there. Um, one recipe I looked at said you can oven bake it or microwave it or steam them even, mm. which might have been better. Obviously, the bakers have been told they had to grill it. I would have found this particularly difficult um, because of the ovens. Now, I have got one of those ovens um, at home doesn't i haven't got the slide and glide version i've just got the ordinary door version but you cannot grill with the door open like many others so you can't really keep an eye on it and i think that makes it particularly difficult so if they're used to a grill ordinary grill at home and how they move the shelves up and down to get the optimum temperature and then you you go into and use one of these ones that if you open the door it switches the grill off and goes shut the door or whatever mm. to grill um i think that just added to the difficulty of the challenge just part of the history of what these things are we appreciate your history there, well there's just a little just a little bit there are two categories that they have they have very simple layers and they have the very intricate patterns and i think some of the bakers had simple layers enclosing the intricate patterns mm. which were were very nice um and there has to be a minimum of two colors for it to be one of these kek lapis sarawak mm. cakes most of them all of them, I think, achieved that. They are described as not just cakes, they're pieces of art. And actually, if you look at them as they're sold in shops in um, Malaysia, they come, you buy slices of them. So I think at one point, uh, Steph said it's just like a Battenberg. When there, it isn't, of course, but it looks as though it can be like a Battenberg mm. in that it's got various squares and wrapped in another... Um, sheet of this uh, uh, cake dough uh, to make it look like that's the marzipan. Um, you, so you buy them in slices. So in a way, you could say that David's were slices of cake because yeah. they were a bit small. But um, they are beautiful. And I'd say to anybody, have a look at them online because they're stunning and they're everywhere apparently in Malaysia. So although they're really obscure and not well known to us, that's us just being very British, I think. Mm. Um, have a look. They are stunning. So Howard Henry seemed very pleased with himself. They'd heard of Malaysia. Um, you know, obviously he didn't know what cake lapis are, but at least he knew the country that they came from. How did you think he did overall? Because he went on to be star baker and it seemed he had a slightly different approach to everyone else. He did. So as well as, as doing the, the, the kind of traditional cake lapises as his base, he'd also used the cake quite decoratively. So he'd got little slices of the cake uh, forming almost like a, a wreath or a ring on, on top, which I thought looked uh, looked really effective. I think also that the, the thing that he'd done, which was quite impressive, 
was that he'd managed to get a cake which still had a kind of moist, crumbly, cakey texture to it. So whereas some of them looked uh, amazingly sharp in terms of their uh, the layers, the judges said that they were a little bit rubbery. Jane, who impressed you most? Henry aside, in terms of what they managed to come up with for the showstopper. Henry aside, my, I think Rosie needs um, a mention for going for a really complicated mm. pattern. She didn't quite pull it off, but I don't think she got enough credit for actually making an effort because the others all went for very simple patterns. So Rosie needs a shout out. But in particular, she was going for these triangles. Mm. I mean, it looks so hard mm, to do. It did look really hard, especially when you're under pressure. And cutting that sort of cake, when I was reading about them, you let it cool and then you put them in the fridge or the freezer because that... Um, even if you just put it in the freezer for a short length of time, we'll just close that crumb up and make it much neater and easier to cut. It just didn't have the time to, to do that. So although her, her dad had made her this thing that, that cutting the strips was really easy, she didn't have to measure, she just cut along the edge. Then trying to cut those little strips into triangle when you've got probably still a warm cake Really, really difficult. Mm. And she, as you mentioned, Howard, had got behind in timing because you had this rather comical moment where everyone was saying, oh, something's burning. Everyone's checking to make sure it's not them. <laughs> and then, of course, we see it's, it's Rosie oh. and she complains that, you know, it's only been in the oven 90 seconds or something, mm. she said. And yet it was, you know, hers who was burnt. That obviously set her back. Um, obviously, we lost Michael this week, Jane. He went for this Jamaican mule Sarawak style layer cake. What did you think of uh, of his attempt? Well, I thought it looked very pretty, you know, from us again, sitting on the sofa, having a look. It was very neat. He's very good at doing his piping, as we've seen right the way through. When looking these cakes up, very often the layers actually will be soaked with something before you then put the next layer on to bake it because it helps keep the layer underneath a little bit softer. I just think he got it wrong. It did. Maybe psychologically, the top and bottom layers, had they had more defined colours, they wouldn't have thought in their head when they're putting it in their mouth that it was as soggy because it looked like one solid lump. You know, you think something's going to taste one way and then you convince yourself it does. Mm. I don't I don't know. I, I didn't think he did that bad a job. But again, we're not tasting it. Howard, as I mentioned, this would build up as being that Michael or Alice had to save themselves. And in the end, it was probably her showstopper that did save Alice. Yes, I, I think when they were doing the review, they, they said that Michael was was still in trouble. Rosie had, had sort of dropped to being in trouble, which, uh, as we were saying, did, did seem a bit un, unfair. But Alice had actually saved herself with the showstopper. And Jane, what did you make of Noel saying that he thought that Alice wasn't your traditional Essex girl? Well, speaking of somebody who moved to Essex when they were 11 and lived there until I left home after university, I'm an Essex girl and couldn't probably be more Essex because I was in Brentwood. So the only way is Essex is filmed there. Um, I thought I'd just dust off my white high heels and dance around my handbag, which is what we used to do on Saturday night down the disco. Uh, it's very it's very stereotypical, isn't it, Essex, I'm afraid. And it's, it's a cheap joke. So. Um, Paul was impressed, though, with with the Essex girl, Alice, saying that hers was incredibly neat, great detail, 
Um, it tasted like marzipan and was vibrant and artistic. And Pruitt said the layers are so thin, so small, that it's almost like weaving. And, and they seemed really impressed. And, and she rightfully did enough to save herself. I, I think she did a lovely job. It looked so, so pretty. Um, I think once again, the judging was inconsistent. That's a very good word. Because at one point, somebody was uh, accused of having too many gaps. And then, you know, I looked at Steph's. And no, I'm not. I'm not having a downer on Steph because I think she's absolutely lovely. But my goodness me, it looked. Well, it looked like my front door. The, the giraffes that would have come through the gaps on her cake were something to be reckoned with. You'd have needed a big draft excluder, but nobody really made a big deal of the gaps on Steph's. But they made big deal. I can't remember who said who. who somebody had some gaps. I just. I'm just getting a little bit irritated with the inconsistency in the judging i know we can't taste and we have to leave that up to them but when you're faced with a cake that doesn't look as though it's joined up terribly well and there's very very little criticism you know it's staring us in the face Mm. as viewers but going back to alice i thought she did a beautiful job i loved the decoration um i thought it was i thought it was great Before we come on to Judge Jane, where we want to hear if you feel that they got it right, Jane, we want Howard's hump. And I know we're, we're seven weeks in now, so I'm, I'm ever intrigued where you're going to take this this week. <laughs> it's not a big hump this week. I think it's more, it's a humpling. Yeah, it's a little hump <laughs> this week. It's, um, and I think it's just picking up on what, what Jane said, really, about some of the inconsistency. So I think particularly during the technical challenge, Steph had made the sensible decision, I think, of turning her uh, cassatelli so that the open end was was away from the the judges. And Paul twice said uh, they were all sealed. You know, he was complimenting her on on the fact that they were all sealed. And we can perfectly see that two of them aren't, but he just hadn't turned it round, you know. And the other thing was he he was saying about, I think, David's... um, had lost their forking, lost their forking definition, lost their, (laughs) lost the fork definition on them. Um, And I thought, you know, I I can still see some definition on there. Yeah. So I Mm. think it's sometimes that, that we're, we're, I'd I'd said earlier about being mesmerised by Paul squeezing, um, I think sometimes we're, we're made, we're told things and our eyes are telling us something different. Okay, it's time for <laughs> Judge Jane. Jane, I, I must say, I, you know, I, I don't give too much of my own opinion on this podcast because people want to hear from yourself and Howard. But as a viewer, I thought this week was probably the most obvious by the end of the episode where we were going to go in terms of who was Starbaker and who left. So firstly, in terms of Starbaker, it's your favourite. It was Henry. Yes, I'm so pleased he got a star baker mm. this week. Um, do you know he is a little ray of sunshine? So for him to have got star baker, I mean, he said he could leave happy after his handshake. Well, star baker, he'll—that's it for him, happy forever. Um, yeah, I think so. I think he he got it right in all the challenges. All the others had ups and downs, and perhaps things that I would have disagreed with. But Henry. Henry, I think, was well-deserved. I was I was very chuffed that he got Starbaker this week. And in terms of who had to leave, it was his great friend, Michael, who uh, eventually ran out of steam, perhaps. 
Mm, he did. I'm going to miss Michael a lot. Yeah, perhaps he ran out of steam. It's just not his week. But, you know, I think we're going to miss a lot of innuendo now that Michael's gone. There was a lot of talk about balls. And there was a particular shot where he's got his legs akimbo and they've shot his buns through his open legs. Oh, I thought thought that was David. Oh, I thought that was David's bottom. Oh, was it? I thought it was Michael's. We we need to identify the bottom. We need to identify the bottom. Perhaps Mm. I misread the bottom. But um, Sandy did say that David had very nice buns. Mm. Um, but I think Michael is very good on the innuendo and we're going to miss that lovely bit of humour, I, I I think. Very, very fond of him. But it's always sad at any stage, yeah. to, uh, especially once we've got to know them quite a lot by this end of the competition. I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss Michael. Absolutely. So congratulations to Henry and uh, commiserations to Michael, but a really um, fantastic personality and a great character and and someone we've really enjoyed watching this series. Just a reminder, every Tuesday morning, we are putting out a post on our social media where we are inviting you to guess who will be the star baker and who will leave Bake Off. So if you want to enter, do look over at our social media on a Tuesday morning. You can find us at Bake With A Legend. Um, on Twitter or Instagram, and you can type in Bait with Legend, you'll find us on Facebook. And I wanted to say congratulations to Teresa Maxwell uh, for getting that right when we uh, when we did that last week. She p- correctly predicted that the star baker would be Steph and that Priya would go. So we look forward to seeing Teresa at one of our upcoming classes. That's it for um, Festival Week from myself, Howard and Jane. Thank you so much for listening. Please do continue to tell all your friends who love Bake Off about the podcast. And if you've got any questions for us or want to tell us your story about meeting a Bake Off star, email us at thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com or you can tweet us at bakewithalegend. just heard a stripped media production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.